Hey, I want to invite you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast and enjoying this content and are passionate about protection, you should know that we have an entire library of all of the protector symposiums that we've ever done uh, hosted at protectornation.com. You can go there and you can download those and you can watch every protector symposium we've had to date there online and you can learn protection tactics from the most, some of the most elite trainers in the world from the comfort of your own home. I think you'll be surprised about how much content we actually have there. Uh, It's very, very, very reasonably priced and you can upgrade your protection skills. Remember, protection is not all about the hard skills. 90% of it is all about the software, the programming, the way you see and move in the world to achieve a safer pattern of life. With that having been said, go to protectornation.com, join us there, learn from the best of the best. Now, enjoy the show. Boom, hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter, but you also have the need to protect those things in a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked. Learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Boom, what's up, you guys? I'm here with another episode of the Protector Podcast. Probably dropped this on EPL, too, just seeing where it goes. I've got an amazing guest here, uh, Ms. Elena Stott. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I am, I'm always excited for these, but this one's special. Uh, Elena is the wife of Dean Stott, who was on one of the previous episodes. You'll find a link for that in the show notes. But she's done some pretty amazing things. She's in the private security industry, um, CEO of a whole uh, rash of companies. She's been a debt collector, it looks like. She's been fighting human trafficking, uh, producer, writer, published author, all these things, and has done some. And she's also an MDE, real quick, which is a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. So I'm talking <laughs> to royalty here. How you doing? No, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I think it's more impressive than it sounds. Yeah, It's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to dig into a lot of the things she's done. We're going to talk a little bit about security from her perspective. And I think uh, she has a really interesting book. I think it's about uh, raising finances called How to Ask for Money. I want to understand some of that because in this world, one major way that we fight these days is finances, raising money for good causes, You need to understand the tool of these things. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. This is going to be awesome. But first, my favorite opening question. Who are you at your core, Elena? Who's the woman behind all this awesome work? Well, interesting one. I, um, you know, I could go through the list of the million things that you've just said, whether it's mother, wife, businesswoman, et cetera. But I'm here, I'm here to help. I would say that's what I've, I've always found myself that, my my purpose has always been to help people. And I think I realized that really early on that 
I had the ability to help people and people needed help. So I've just combined them together and whatever, whatever I do. Also, I'm kind of a really contribution centric person, but I feel like people don't realize like it's once you've done it and you become effective at it. I, I want to like talk about the reality that I've experienced. Maybe it's been different for you, but like, it's like the best way to live. I feel like. Yeah, I feel that um, when somebody says to me, you know, it was, it was interesting, various things that I've done over over life, people have almost needed to do something to help. So let's just say, for example, the Mrs. Scotland work. Um, I went into that to further my causes that I worked with, which was human trafficking. And and the, the girls that were kind of coming into it, because part of what you're doing in the pageant world is helping people, they almost had to find a way to help. So rather than me coming in to further what I was doing, they were all trying to find their way to help. And I, and they would often, you know, I would turn to them for all the beauty advice and everything else that they could give. But for them, it was, how do I help people? And I was, I said like, and this is one of my children's books that I wrote is, is called Who to Help Today, because it's, it's mm-hmm. explaining that from the minute you wake up till the minute you go to bed, there's opportunities to help people throughout the whole day. You'll see things that people, you just need to open up that, perspective of your mind to say that who needs me today mm-hmm. that's awesome by the way she won did you win didn't you win are you like miss I'm Mrs. scotland i didn't win mrs i went to mrs world in vegas and, and pretty much um spent my time arguing with the the director so. <laughs> so you won mrs scotland she's so humble you know she won mrs scotland you guys it's a big deal <laughs> that's awesome no i love it um and and you were asking them for the beauty advice in there. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah, yeah. The one, the first thing I got told was they, that I had to learn how to walk, which was really weird because I thought I'd been doing that for a really long time yeah. pretty well, but apparently I wasn't doing it right. So I had to learn learn how to walk. That was the first thing I got told. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So what about, I mean, every it's different, you know, like it's even an EP, you got to learn how to walk, you know, like some guys you can tell so much about someone with their mm-hmm. walk, probably in that industry, understanding like their experience level in our industry, just reading that body language, you know, like yeah, yeah. is this guy confident. Does he know where he's going while the client's following him? Yeah. You know, like you can tell a lot about a personality. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, we don't, we, uh, we, myself and my husband trained with a company called Anubis that was run by a guy called Ginge Johnson, who was just, you know, he was just the goat of security. He worked yeah. in the 70s fighting the Mujahideen. Actually, he was training the Mujahideen fighting in Afghanistan. So he's, you know, he's done it all throughout his career. And I think CP training is a little bit different here than what it is in the UK. We've got to go on full courses. And I think our one was like a four-week residential course where you were just doing everything. And it was the the, the tasks that they were setting and some of the guys that were on the course, you would often think, you know, I'd often just put my hands on my head and shape with it. You know, there was one in particular, I remember we got told to scope out the hotel and we went down in groups. I think it was groups of five we were going down. And, and as soon as we got to the hotel, the first thing was the hotel was closed. So mm-hmm. I was like, we need to do the backup. We need to do but the, One of the guys who was slightly older and, you know, full military experience went straight yeah. on phone to the to the, the centre back home. And I was like, who are you calling? He said, well, it's closed. We can't do the task. I'm, I'm pretty sure they know it's closed. And I'm pretty sure that's why we're <laughs> There's quite a bit left to yeah. do. 
Yeah, but he just couldn't pass that stage in his brain that we've been set this task for a reason. Yeah. And it's how much we can think outside the box, what we can do with a closed hotel and how much we can learn. Right. Um, and it was quite interesting learning, the, you know, because I almost did go into this the CP course thinking that because everybody there was ex-military apart from me, I think I was only female on the course. And it was, I thought, I'm going to learn so much from these guys. But it ended up being the flip on the actual yeah. mental side of it. Yeah, there's a huge kind of, so like in the military, a lot of what you're getting is orders at a certain, at certain levels. You know what I mean? Like you're told these orders and you have these SOPs and like you have to operate in these confinements and you get your left, right, lateral limits. Um, and so it can almost kind of cause your brain to be more rigid. Mm-hmm. And so when I get these, and I'm sure you've seen this, you know, and I get these guys even on details sometimes. And I'm like, dude, you got to think outside the box or, or, uh, but we're not going to be covering the client. Like, what are we going to do? I'm like, the client doesn't want us to be there, bro. We're going to sit right here until we have our next thing on the itinerary. And then we're going to go there. <laughs> and they're like, but you know, you know, or the clients are too far away. I'm like, this is how they want it, man. Welcome to private security. So there's that whole, like, these lines that a lot of us professional protectors get, you know, and I, I completely understand. I've seen that. And then it always breaks my heart when like civilians dig into our world and they realize that, the you know, we're not as like James Bondy, John Wick military guys as we like everyone to think, yeah. you know. Yeah, I know. Um, I get that a lot. They, um, the first question I'm always asked is, are you tough? And I'm like, I've got absolutely no idea because I've never put myself into that circumstance where I need yeah. to. As as you watch films like The Bodyguard or Taken, they do everything wrong. I'm like, yeah. everything you should be doing is happening here. So I don't know how tough I am. <laughs> Luckily, I never got into that situation. So Yeah, because you're smart and you are powerful. <laughs> you know, with these co- corporations you put in place. Uh, we've got an intelligence-based security form, firm that um, you're behind. And are you able to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we, I mean, me and my husband started that when he left, when he was injured out of the military, we almost had to find this new path. I was a bank manager at the time. We both decided we would go into this world and it was actually because of the work we were doing with human trafficking. We wanted to, um, really what had happened was the Haiti disaster had hit. Somebody had asked me for help. Uh, It was a friend of mine. She worked with a company called Stop the Traffic. She'd gone in to help this orphanage that had been almost like a makeshift orphanage that had been set up pretty much five and younger, with I think the youngest we've seen was about 18 months that was being um, at risk of trafficking. So she was going to to, to rescue them and um, immediately a price tag was put in her head. And, and it, I think it was something like $5. It was something ridiculous that if she- It was had, like lunch money, mail, lunch box money. All right. Okay. The price <laughs> of life. Um, so she called me and she says, can we get somebody to, to just protect me? And then- uh, I phoned around everybody that I knew that was in the industry and the, the prices that they were charging. Well, this is a, a non-profit. They couldn't afford to do it. Uh, and I was like, can somebody not just do it? Just, just do it out of the goodness. But they were yeah. saying, so I said to Dean, like, I want to be in a position that if I get that call, we're either able to do it or we've got, you know, the funds to be able to send somebody to do it. So we both ended up going into the industry for that, for that reason initially. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of what was going on at the time was the anti-piracy thing was huge. That was all, all going on around there. So we, yeah, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it was. I had to train um, on the company security and the ship security officer work as well, which was, which was actually quite hard to train in the first place because they wouldn't let me train because I was female and there wasn't females doing the ship security work. So we ended up going around uh, doing a bit of a. 
a cheeky move, really. We um, Dean called up to book himself on the course and said he had somebody else that wanted to do it. And they were like, yeah, no problem. Great. We'll get you on. And yeah, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, bro. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, um, but then, yeah, while I was training, I found out I was pregnant with our first daughter. So then oh. I thought, okay, well, this is it. Like, I'm not, you know, the demand for pregnant bodyguards wasn't very high. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, well, what are we going to do? But then Dean, the work that Dean ended up getting called into was more like, Libya, Yemen, Somalia, all that that sort of thing. So I said, well, I can do a lot of the the background work, the 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 things that um, the paperwork, I guess, side of it. Um, so I ended up going into that side, and then Dean would be. So Dean basically went on the ground while I done everything else in the background, and then it just worked. And then we ended up just working like that for a number of years. And then when we moved to America in 2020, it was quite obvious that there was a difference between how we worked because. Other than when when we were in the kind of war-torn countries, in the UK, you don't have weapons or anything. So we have always worked on an intelligence basis. That's always had had to work. And then we came here and it was very obvious there was a huge difference in how we worked and how other security operators worked. Um, And we thought, well, we could either adapt to that or we could just continue our own because... I think this kind of weapons first attitude was was holding a lot of people back from being able to learn other skills. So we thought, no, no, we'll keep it up and we'll we'll do it. And it seems to be liked, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 100% softer side of Sears, right? I personally try to tell guys, I mean, like, dude, you're a Jedi if you can avoid and detour and if you never get like one of the things that i have always taken pride on is that most 90 percent of everything that's ever happened with my clients i'm able to just socially address or visually address or and use intelligence to go around or avoid and it's like nothing happens (laughs) so i mean god you know by the grace of god you know i'm not darren murphy wherever he is i know he's listening right now but I'm just saying, you know, it's it's just so beautiful when that can happen. And that's what really makes you kind of like that EP Jedi. Would you say then, or are you saying that some of what you saw in America was kind of that if every if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, everyone's just kind of like, hey, we're geared up. So we're not worried as much about the intelligence. We're more worried about making sure we have hard skills, meat eaters in the right positions, and different kind of an approach like that. And so the and so they kind of would leave out some of the intelligence stuff that you guys had to strengthen because it was your primary primary well, exactly. if you've got if you've got a gun by your side you've almost got that like that extra security like <laughs> you know, I'm, i could just kill you but if you've not got that ability to do that then you've got to pull out all these other skills yeah. to you know plan ahead thing what you're doing but also just if you are in this situation being able to talk your way out of a situation you know mm-hmm. not with that not knowing that you've got that extra bit of backup but just being able to to work a way yeah. around it you know if you've got there's thousands of examples of people who have not had that and have had to talk their way mm-hmm. and but i think if you've you know it's like everything else if there's an easy option you're 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 probably likely to to go for it but um if you're trained i guess before on, on not having that option then it, yeah. it, you know it's mind muscle yeah. yeah i mean and and both i think are very important like the ideal protector would have both of these kind of yin yang soft skills hard skills i always say soft skills get you paid, keep you in the game, hard skills may save lives, you know? Um, So I love that you're saying this and I love that you come from an environment where it was necessary to procure and like, and and build this skill set because it it is true. I have seen the same thing. I've seen a lot of uh, on the U S side, just guys with backgrounds on details, you know, and then 
Uh, we get them to the EP immersion course where we run security details with them out in LA for a week straight back to back. And they're like struggling on the advanced work, struggling on the site survey work, struggling on the, you know, the social dynamics with the client. And, and I'm like, dude, like, this is your bread and butter, man. Like you, this is how we avoid everything. This is how we get access to back entrances. This is how we move through these FBOs with low signatures. Like this is the stuff, man. Yeah, we're going to go do the hard skills and shoot, but this is like your job, <laughs> you know? So that's yeah, awesome. they're both equal. As you say, they're both e- like equally important. Equally is important. I think, but both have to be fully trained. You know, yes. there, there's a lot of people carrying things around here that I'm like, dude, like go and get down the ranges and practice a little bit more. <laughs> you should not have that in your hand. 100%. I had a, I was on another female's podcast uh, a while back. Like yet last week, and she was just like, I recently went to an instructor course. She's a young girl. I recently went to an instructor course because I'm becoming an instructor because I've been doing competitive shooting. I'm like, awesome. And I just knew instantly, I was like, she smoke checked every dude actor's course because she's been competitive shooting now for a few years. And then she went over there and they had their cargo pants and their red shirts on. And I was like, I know what happened. She's like, I couldn't believe how bad these guys were. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) It's anyway, so let's get back into it. Let's talk a little bit about the philanthropic work you've done. You know, like what stands out to you? What's really kind of what really have you done? I guess if for everyone to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I say, since the little girl, I was brought up by an amazing woman um who was my great auntie. So she died a few years mm-hmm. ago, she was 95, but she was one of those people just embedded in me about helping people and doing what you can. So I, you know, I think my first one, I was about eight when I done like a sponsored famine for, for something there. Um, yeah. from, from that, I've always either fundraised or supported causes or done something. I think the major one that propelled what I was doing was when my husband done the bike ride, which was cycling from Argentina to Alaska. Yeah. Thousand miles. Um, we were originally going he's, to. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records for right. Yeah, yeah, he got two world records for it, so it was big um, deal. Dean Stott's yeah, cool, yeah. guys. Go check him out. <laughs> but we uh, that was really. I mean, he was injured out of the military. He went into the private security. Libya became his home for a while, and it was just really, really rough. And it was it was too much stuff was was happening. And I think when you're in the military, you've got the backing of this whole team. He was in Libya just doing his own thing. So. Yep. We eventually said, look, you've got this adrenaline you need to you need to match from when you were in the SBS. So let's do yeah. something amazing like a world record and we could raise money at the same time so we could blend these things. Um, so, yeah, that's why we chose the Pan America, which was Argentina to Alaska, 14,000 miles. So he did break the two world records. Um, but behind that was to raise the money. And originally I'd said, like, let's do it for human trafficking because the path that you're going on is a trafficking path. Let's do it. But he, him and Prince Harry were friends. So Harry was setting up this um, mental health campaign and said, would you mind helping with that? Yes. So we said, yeah, sure, let's do that. And it was a great cause. You know, it was helping veterans. It was helping kids. It was helping plenty of people there. So it was it was a little bit of a baptism of fire for me because we, we weren't helping one charity. There was 11 nonprofits involved in this whole thing. And wow. um, you know, we didn't just want to raise money. We wanted to learn about what it was that each charity done. We had to 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 see where the money would go, how people would benefit. So we got really embedded in the world of of fundraising, and I learned everything like good and bad about about the fundraising world. Um, so that one we raised one point three million dollars for, and I think wow. 
more kind of impressive with all that was the, the waterfall effect of everything that happened. You know, we had um, helplines set up for children. We had veteran centres built. There was a suicide minister brought into the government. There was so much came from it. And, and it's still going. We, we hear from people all the time that it's still going. Because weirdly enough, in 2016, there was still a huge stigma around mental health and talking about feelings and things. So um, I think it's moved on a lot since then and the money certainly helped. So we carried on from there and we decided that the what what was great about the mental health campaign that was there was 11 charities came together so when i was asking people for money i was finding it so much easier because it was a collaboration and we were helping a number of people so when i spoke to a few organizations that were involved in human trafficking i said look guys this worked for mental health why don't you guys do it as well um and i've never really we did set up a charity for um, more for tax purposes to get the funds in for the mental health campaign, but we've I've never gone ahead and set up my own because I prefer just helping other people's charities to do because there's plenty of nonprofits out there. There's there's oh, yes, a lot. there are, and I think every time there's a new government incentive or something happens, all these nonprofits pop up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, some of them are not quite doing what they say they're doing, and there's. And like you, you learn the different types of people that fundraise as well and that do this thing. Some of it is for the cause, some of it's for their own purposes, some of it's for egos, for awards, whatever it might be. But you can yeah. you can learn these things quite easily. That is interesting. What would you say? You said you you learned the good and bad. I think you may have just touched on it a little bit, but you said you learned the good and bad of fundraising. This is like a superpower. I'm very interested in this art. What kind of things did you did you come across? Yeah, so so there would be, we were working with quite a high profile person, which yeah. they, so you were, you were under a microscope, which actually to me, it was quite good because I did, as I say, I was a baptism of fire as to what I was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned there was there was various different reasons for fundraising, or so, sorry, for donating, which again I can I can work around. But there's other people that would get involved with it for absolutely the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. um, whether they wanted to meet a person or just for the publicity, yeah. um, social or, proof, power, leverage. Oh, I have these charities. I must be yeah. a good person now. I yeah. can slide in here. I can. You know, and then there, yeah, and there's the kind of, uh, you know, let me take a picture with these really poor people or these really sad people. Let me, oh. <laughs> you know, there's those types of ones. That are, I mean, we, I think I've seen them, them all. But I think I, I've, I've, I learned why people donate, and that kind of helped me develop the, the how to ask for money because it, it, it really did teach me why, why they were doing it, how to do it, how not to do it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. No. So you just said it. It's on my mind. Elena Stott, how do you ask for money? <laughs> I got some causes I got to be figuring some stuff out for, you know. This book. So as I say, I've been asking for money since I was since I was a little girl and I've got no shame in it because normally and this is all this is in the book. You guys get the book how to ask for money. I'm, I'm going to have to get this thing. Um. And I, I was speaking with it. was actually here in Newport. I was speaking with a, a business friend of mine, and you know, really successful guy, does amazing things. And I was speaking about a process of asking for money, and he was like, "Oh no, stop! I can't. I hate asking for money. I hate this bit." And I was like, "What do you mean you hate it? I, you know, mm-hmm. look at what you do." And he said, "No, I hate it." 
And then he said, you know, Alana, it's in people's top 10 fears asking for money. And that blew my mind. I was like, whoa, like I love, love it. And he said, but how? I said, well, because I'm always prepared. And I said, that's the first thing I would say. Yeah. I learn, you know, if I was going to be asking Byron Rogers for money, I would be learning everything about you. And my pitch would be very specific to you. Whereas I find so many people go in and they want to talk about the cause or they want to talk about how it's going to benefit them or what. I mean, that's that's the, the opposite of what to do. So the book kind of takes you through teaching you about learning people's motivations. So, you know, my motivations are helping people and asking for money. But if I try to get somebody who say motivation is family time or um, something completely different on my motivations, it's not going to work. So it's about learning other people's motivations. Then it's learning how not to ask for money. I ha- there's a whole chapter on that. Um, and then I talk about the mindset, the accountability planning. I, I have a formula which is called MAPS. Um, and then I talk about the, the the aftermath as well, a hugely overlooked part when somebody gives you the money. Um, what do you do then? And it's the you know the gratitude and keeping them informed. Again, this part is usually the bit that everybody misses out. Um, and then a year later, they'll return to that person and say, "Can you give me more money?" And the person will say, "Absolutely not." Like yeah. I got ignored for a year. So, and then mm. there's like little extras in the end that teach you about how to do a fundraiser, um, mm. how to dress. There's there's all sorts of little extra bits in it but yeah I felt like it was a really beneficial book for investors fundraisers um anybody who works with money and even anybody who works with stuff I mean we met at the shop show and the amount of people I spoke to there that were super nervous to approach brands and ask them for sponsorship or alignments or partnerships but they were just literally going you know booth to booth asking every person they knew nothing about that company they just really wanted so I, I, you know, I said to them straight away, you're losing authenticity by just jumping one to one. You don't know anything about the company. You're you're kind of trying to do like impact fundraising or impact selling without yeah. everybody impact. hitting everybody. Yeah. I, mean, there is, I mean, impact selling, you know, I think Jordan Belford talks about it in Wolf of Wall Street with the sell me this pen kind of tactic. And it can be effective and things like auctions or something that you're doing an impact selling rolling, but generally day-to-day stuff should be planned and prepared. And I think it's overlooked hugely. So this is like mission planning. Like you pick your target, you assess your target and you figure out like your target's vulnerabilities and then you figure out your strengths and then you figure out how they can come together. And then ultimately how you can serve the person and the organization. That's really what they want to know. Uh, does that sound kind of like where we were going with this? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it is. It's planning. It is planning a mission. And I think, um, you know, I'll get people to talk me through what they've done so far. And normally the first one is they've sent out over like 100 emails to different, like straight away. I'm like, fail, <laughs> fail. Yeah. Like it doesn't work. We need, yeah, having that. You know, you want, you don't want to waste your time sending a thousand emails out to people trying to get just one hit on it. You want to be really specifying to each person, make them, how do you want to feel? If you were a donor, how do you want to feel? You want to know, um, how is it going to benefit me? What's going to happen to my money? What's going to progress from what I'm doing? And I think the cause is obviously important, but yeah. I would say a huge proportion of, especially corporates who are donating, they, do just want to know how is it going to benefit the company? You know, am I going right. to get a right off? Is it going to work for my CSR? Is it going to work? Whatever it might be that's benefiting them. And then, yeah, the cause might come in and it'll be a nice little feeling to get a letter from the kids that we've helped or whatever. But it's usually about 
oneself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is very interesting. And then the the way to secure the relationship long term, if you do want to see more fruit from that relationship like this, is to make sure that you take care of that relationship. So there's no like buyer's remorse after they give you that money. You want to make sure they really feel that it was impactful yeah. that you delivered on all your promises, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I had this one client. He was, you know, really successful guy. He developed this like, tiny little piece of equipment that had changed the, the firefighting uh, world, really. It was it was a patented wow. thing. And he'd made he'd made a lot of money off it and done really well. But when you're kind of out there, he's made a lot of money. You attract a lot of people asking for money. And he had supported this fantastic cause that I've supported for a long time as well. And there was there was new CEOs into the charity and there was new people working there. And every year this guy used to support them. And, and it was it was substantial. It wasn't a small amount of money or, or product that he would donate. So yeah. he, he'd come in for this one event, raised, I think it was over 50 grand his 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 donation brought to the the company. And then I think it was about six months later, they approached him for another event. And they came to me and I said, Lana, I said, I never heard a word from them, not even a thank you card, nothing afterwards. He was like, now they want more money from me. He said, how would you think that makes me feel? And I said, but basically use, isn't it? You're you're using that person. And you're For the simple, a thank you card or an invite to one of their events or or like yeah. a post on social media, something like this to make them feel special. Probably right. would have got that six month donation later on. But from that point, he decided he wasn't going to do it again. Um, that he would support another cause. And it wasn't so much because of his like ego that he wanted you to to recognize. He just wanted to feel like he wasn't being used or that he right. wasn't a commodity to them, that he was important yeah. to them. And that's not how he felt. So he moved on to another organization. Yeah, and part of the cause, part of the mission. And yeah, that stuff I think is very, um, it's righteous. It's like right for that type of a relationship, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I I, I think I've one one charity that I've donated to, um, which was was, was over fifty thousand um, dollars. I again, I never got, I never got a word, not, not a thank you, not nothing, not like a receipt, not nothing at all. And I would have praised that cause before. Now I probably wouldn't ever really speak about it. So you mm. see that waterfall effect that yeah. that 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 charity is not going to get and usually you know usually the ones who are the most grateful and the nicest are the smaller ones the kind of startup okay. the ones that are and they're the best ones because they are actually the proceeds as soon as the charity almost and i do my, my big thing is to say that fundraising is a business absolutely the, the the business of fundraising it should be treated as a business and not a cause but non-profits should be non-profits obviously you have your business plans but when they become so big they become a business and they forget yeah. completely about the nonprofit side of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a dangerous area you can see them moving into. 100%. I did uh, my first, within the first like batch of companies I was with, I was with a nonprofit doing kind of evangelical and, and um, missionary work around the world. And <clears throat> there was, we did a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of money around in there. It was quite a bit, you know, it was a great experience. We did some amazing things, but uh, I mean, you wouldn't have known we were a nonprofit unless we told you, <laughs> you know, um, I was my first, I was like, it was my first experience of being like, wow, this nonprofit thing seems like it's kind of all right. You know, <laughs> it's kind of lucrative in here. I think in, in the UK, there's slightly different rules to the US, but in the US, yeah. it's definitely not frowned upon to be making money while doing nonprofit. In the UK, it's a different set of rules, but 
Yeah. And it's interesting because I do believe that you should bring, like people say that salaries should be lower and things, but you want the best of the best in your nonprofit for sure. You want the person who's going to be able to elevate it. But if you're, you know, if your nonprofit's taking in 500 grand that year and you're paying your CEO 400 grand or something not quite right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something going on. No, that's very interesting. Little class on how to ask for money. Wait. And then the question they're all wondering is there an audiobook? Um, I'm hoping I can develop it. So the How to Ask for Money will be out in May. Um, and I haven't got an audiobook at the minute, but I'm hoping that I can bring that on at some point. Hey, with some of this new AI, I've seen some things where they can like have you present, but it's an AI you. And I know it's AI. I know it's, you know, it's Team 1000 are taking over the world. But until they take over the world, there's really cool tools. I'm <laughs> yeah. literally like... <laughs> I'm I'm about to do all. I mean, if it all works out, I'm gonna do some stuff. My book's not audiobook yet, and I am such a hypocrite because I am pretty much almost an only audiobooks guy. Um, so I gotta. Get I like it. a book. I like to hold a book and read a book. So I'm yeah. slightly. I know that Dean's done his audiobook. I don't know who listens to Dean talk for all that time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are awesome, Dean. So you're both so interesting. You've done so much. I had dinner with him at the 511 uh, Hot Rods and Handguns. And I was like, listen to all these stories. And I was just like, man, there's so much stuff in here. You'd be like five podcasts easily between the two of you. Yeah. The power couple. What, um, let's talk a little bit about Wolf Raven, um, Omni Media. What are you doing over there? What's up with that? Interestingly, that was set up. I was, we were obviously doing our books. So I set up a publishing company. We have our, our security side of it. And then we have like, product and things so it was almost just an idea to just bring them all together but my first reason was because I was managing Dean Dean's had a number of managers it's never quite like vibed and then it always comes back to to me so (laughs) I I think the the reason is because I mean when it comes to protectors I would say I'm Dean's protector there's a Dean is um there's actually a chapter in how to ask for money about knowing your value yeah one of the most difficult things for Dean to do is to understand what he's worth. <laughs> I think a lot of you guys that are in this kind of world, you know, what you do is actually life. Life is the value of what it is you do. But yeah. when it's actually billing for it or anything like that, it's it's a struggle. So, you know, I've seen Dean do incredibly dangerous tasks and he he won't send the invoice because he's he's saving someone's life or he, there's something that's going on there and he's like yeah but you know this is more important and I'm like that yeah but you know these guys they've got the money and they're, they're gonna pay it like it's gonna yeah. but you know when you come from that world of everything that you do is the value of a person's life you know whatever whatever country they've been working in so trying to get them to um value themselves was probably one of my toughest things Mm -hmm. and when we came into the field of you know tv and film and books and things I was speaking to so many operators who were getting offered deals and offered work that were you know completely underselling themselves but giving their life rights away giving their stories and their I was like guys you need to stop talking stop stop speaking these guys producers in Hollywood and whatnot are just going to yeah so um Dean signed Dean was doing a lot of talking and I said, right, you're signing this. So he signed his life rights to me, which means I own Dean's life rights. Um so anybody who does want to like try and take advantage of that way, they'll have to come through me. And then there was a friend of Dean's who was in the same sort of situation. And I said, Well, sign it to me and I'll speak to the guy. You know, like so we we done we done that a few times because I just seen too much of it happening in the industry. Yeah. 
So that was almost the reason Wolf Raven came to effect that we would have this um, give back side of it to protect these guys. And then what we wanted to do was any movies we made around trafficking, Afghanistan, whatever it might be, um, the profits were going back into the, the field that we're working in. So that's that's how it got set up. Um, it's still it's still in process at the minute, but we're working on it, um, working on a good few documentaries and films right now. Yeah. Outstanding. That's so cool. Because it's true. For us, our value is very intrinsic. Our values in the handshake, our values in the mission accomplishment. Like these are the things that like matter to us, you know, going to the gym and being like, and making sure that we're still performing and we can deliver. And, you know, it's just the warrior kind of thing, but we're in this new world and I ain't running the same thing. You know, they're like, how much would you want for this? I'm like, dude, I'll just do it for free. Like, I'm going to keep you and your family safe. Like, this is, this is what we do. You know, this is, it's an honor. You know, it's an honor. I got, I got a, I got a message from my accountant just yesterday. Byron, if you do this deal at this cost, you'll pay $500,000 for the honor of doing business with them. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm like, oh yeah. no, we need to fix this. Oh, um, I mean, I, I done a consult for a guy once and I found yeah. about five invoices that had never been sent, never. And I was like, why, why have you not sent them? He's, well, you know, we were just helping the guy and I just don't, I feel bad yeah. sending them. I'm like, do you, do you know how much this guy's worth? Do you know how much <laughs> like saved his life has saved his family, everything else. So this little bill, um, but it is, it's a it's a highly undervalued industry, the security industry, you know, like until it's required, until it's needed, until it's seen. Um, and, and and unfortunately, the best of the best operators out there always shield their clients from ever having to need them. So then they'll be like, well, why the amount of times that clients have ripped apart our invoices? And it's like, dude, then go and get somebody else. And yep. every time they'll come back and they'll come back and they'll come back because the value is, and I think similar to one of my, one of my friends, she runs a human trafficking organization and it's a preventative organization. So everything she does is preventing trafficking from happening in the first place. So she really struggles because she's got no stats because she's preventing it happening ever. That's so, world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So similar with you guys, it's a hard industry. So you need, you do, I mean, a lot of people, like our podcast, myself and Dean have started a podcast called Behind yeah. the Scenes because you do need that person behind the scene who's there to be the bitch, you know, to be the one. <laughs> What's the name of the podcast again? It's called Behind the Scene. So scene S-W-E-N. So it's um about that that person in the background who, yeah. who, you know, there's always that one person out the front. It's about the people who are her behind doing all the other work while you're out there. That's so cool. Which because... we need to get you and your wife on for sure. <laughs> Let's do it. I haven't decided if I want to bring her onto the public eye yet. Uh, or any of my family for that matter, is I kind of keep them off the socials. But it's the truth. Like you have to have someone, you're only as good as your team. Like you're only as good as your support, you know, like you're only as good as, and I think a lot, and and I, I, I do believe that if you have a good couple, the wife definitely protects the male from a lot of these types of things. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've seen that dynamic a number of different times, you know, it's a very, because we, we're focused on like the tip of the spear stuff on the ground and like, we need that top cover and I could, my business wouldn't run. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can't I do all that. 
The okay. amount of arguments I think me and Dean have had over the years. Yeah. Gen- rarely do we actually argue about our own stuff. It's always about stuff that's going on. Yeah. And it would be Dean doing things for free or for yeah. and I would what I mean, there was one particular instance when he was evacuating people out of Libya and he was, you know, under real pressure. There was money coming in. And I remember going on to Facebook and his team were out for dinner drinking wine doing their thing and I was furious I was like you're out there risking your life while they're pretty much cashing in dining <laughs> dining and dining um yep. and Dean couldn't see the problem because all he could see was he was rescuing people and people needed help and he was out helping them um but other people would always and I think actually the guy from um I was telling you that that trained us in close protection he said he was a very sweet guy as well and he said the amount of millionaires he's made in his life just not yeah. himself you know <laughs> that is how business can turn i've seen you know i mean i'm still a pretty new businessman right but that's what i've noticed because the markup you know like i'm like well you know we don't need a whole bunch like we're not money motivated humans we're just not you know it's interesting well that was quite interesting when when dean um you know he used to do the the, the task so say like you got paid x amount for doing day rate for doing your job being so an operator well when, when i'm billing the first client this is it and I said well no you've got insurance you've got tax you've got your markup you've got your benefits you've got this this is all adds up to this next price and then you've got your profit that needs to go on that so when we had to do that exercise with them I think at that point I was there to tell you what I'll I'll do this part you do the work I'll do the money that's it 100 percent 100 man my accountant's literally if she was listening she'd be like <laughs> get yeah. it and I'm like yeah I get it I get it um that's awesome so a little more into the human trafficking. Are you still in that space? What are you guys doing? Are you guys still fighting that fight? Are you supporting? Yeah. So as I said, we've never gone into setting up our own foundation. And it's something we've thought about a lot, but I just think we're more beneficial to help other people to do it. Yeah. Um, so we work with, I mean, I probably work with, I don't know, 20 plus different organizations. And I'll just really connect. I'll do, I know pro, there's probably not an area of trafficking, whether it be the fighting, the preventative, the care, the restorative stuff, anything like I can probably find somebody that's that's involved. And there's probably not a country I could couldn't find somebody. And I know most people. So it's mostly a case of somebody will come to me and say, Alana, do you know somebody in this? Do you know somebody in this? And we'll do some connecting. And we've just gone in a little bit of a partnership with a group in Texas who are setting up um, a safe house. It's actually a tactical training center plus a safe house for 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 women in Texas. So that side of it was quite important for me because I worked in it in the UK for a long time. And there's kind of the aftermath of being rescued from trafficking that most governments don't really put a lot of time or funding into. And it's the most important part with um, the re-trafficking of women is what we, we were kind of trying to stop. So with these guys, they're looking at, I think it's 18 months of um, the aftercare, which is, which is you know, drug rehabilitation, you yeah, know, right. A lot of them are illegal. There's, there's all sorts of different uh, work that needs to go into it. But because it's blended with a tactical training centre, the kind of profits from the, the centre are going back into the non-profits I think that got me and Dean's involved as well because the tactical side of it so it's a really interesting little project and the couple that run it Ralph and Olivia they're um they're awesome both ex-military really really amazing people so we were really happy to get involved with awesome. them yeah plenty of other ones I mean things like um Princess Eugenie um she runs the anti-slavery collective so again bringing she's been doing a lot of work in film um 
and and bringing the kind of more wide widespread stuff into into focus but i think it's just really important to just keep talking about it and people to understand i think i had a request for a podcast recently and he he really wanted to push certain things that i like but really about it not happening in the u.s which i couldn't possibly it like, happens is that we're like the number one consumer like yeah. we're we're kind of the uh, yeah. yeah where there's people you know there's slavery and that's yeah you know and, I, and there was another i got asked to do a ted talk quite recently and oh. The woman was really adamant. I mean, the, the TED Talks, everything was through, everything was ready to go, but she really did not want me using the word slavery. She said it was too provocative. I said, how can I talk about human trafficking and not talk about slavery? And I think there was part of it where I talked about George Floyd, but the reason behind talking about that side of it was there was such an upcry and such a movement that went on when, right. when things happened. But there's still 46 million people right now in slavery. and No one better than I. Yeah, nobody's but you know people are pulling down statues and doing all this kind of things. But there's people who need help right now, and all that money that's being raised and everything, what that could do. But all this kind of effort there is being turned away from the people who are actually need help today. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, no I've been to villages in Uganda that it's basically under eight, you know, a dollar to get into the village and do what you want, you know. So these are the people that I want to help. So this was what the TED Talk was about. And I said, look, I need to speak about this. I need to speak about um, sexual slavery and involvement. And she didn't did not want me to use the word sexual abuse in this. So slavery and sexual abuse were the two things she didn't want me to use. And eventually I was like, you know what? Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. I need you to talk about water. Don't mention the ocean. Don't mention yeah, H2O. Exactly. Don't mention lakes or rivers. Go. And you're like, okay. The yeah. narrative is so yeah. horrible. Yeah. Just, and it was it was just basically changed and it was so much and I said well, you know what you could go and stand on stage and read this like because yeah. it's just so bland and so there's nothing here it's just like you know pretending that we're interested but we're not really interested if you don't want to hear the hard facts then I'm not interested in, in being up there speaking about it so it's interesting I, that they control the narrative around something that should be so provocative you know it's just so I posted a video I posted a video of the kids getting rescued in the Middle East after the uh, after the earthquake in Turkey, I believe it was. Two little boys getting pulled out of the wreckage. I thought it was like one of the most touching videos. And I said something to the effect of, you know, what what an amazing reason to want to become a powerful human. What if more of us had resources to help these kids and kids like this affect, regardless of your politics, help humans that are stuck in this situation? And I got shadow banned so hard. And I, like my next three posts, it was like a four people saw it. I think I got it up to seven people saw my next post. And I mean, I mean, I know the game. I know what's going to go viral. It's just whether I have time to just post it. So I grabbed a few videos and I was like, these are viral. And I started dropping them. Nothing. I could post a picture of my pinky, pinky nail. And I would get more views than, than I was like. And I got totally locked out. And then I uh, I know the game. So I took the two posts down. I still remember the kids' faces because because uh, there were posts from a charity, too. So, like, maybe some of my followers could help. And I just remember being like, I can't believe I have to take this off the Internet. And I took it off. And then and I'm still kind of in trouble. They only gave me like 60, 70% of my engagement back. But like, I just, it just, I don't even know why. I just, that's the game. They, that's uh, why I'm working. That's why I started protectornation.com, which is a social media platform for protectors. Now we can go to my website and like actually have freedom in actual America and actually talk about what we want and become better protectors together, et cetera. 
Yeah, I think the freedom of speech thing is, is is so interesting when there is so much out there that, you know, my kids are taught life, you know, they we under, we don't, nothing gets banned in this house, nothing gets yeah. like, we don't take phones away, we don't do stuff like that, because it's about education. Molly's 11 years old, and she's had, I would say, three approaches on the internet. The first thing she does is she pulls the computer to me, me and Dean check it out, you know, we, we, we do everything that needs to be done. But the point is, is that we don't, raise her voice we don't block her from the phone we don't stop we it's because and I think the way that we speak about it is it used to be the play park you know the guy in the play park with the big you know flasher jacket that jacket we would, on and it's like yeah, lurking yeah. That guy, yeah don't don't go near him and then you know if somebody was hurt you know maybe there would be a little bit of like more protection in the playground but eventually the kids just went back to play and that's how we grew up yeah. you know so, so by banning them from the internet, you're basically taking away their playground. That's the, that's what kids know today. So it's making it a safer playground for them, making sure that, by, and yeah, there's lots of little tools you could do to block things. But to me, it's, you know, Molly's been brought up. Molly's the kid who we go to a hotel. She knows to count. She closes her eyes, counts the doors. You know, if there's a fire, she can get out. She, when we go to bed at night, she's the one who checks the doors locked. She puts the um, door stop underneath the door. She knows all the little tricks. And yeah. it's not scared. She's just been brought up to be very secure yeah. and conscious. And yeah. she tells me absolutely everything, which is something that I just just love. And that, you know, we make sure, like, even at the point where you think, shit, she shouldn't. I think there was one where she'd replied, they'd said hi, she'd said hi back. And then they started the conversation. And I obviously explained to her that don't even do the reply, even just a little hi, is it should be ignored and bring it to mom and what she'd done. But I think if the first time that I'd seen something and I shouted and I banned her from the internet, I don't think she'd come back to me again. So yep. it really is that trust building because it's, it is scary out there on the internet. It's trust building and it's education. You know, like I want to teach you how to fish. I want to teach you how to farm. You know, you protect the kids, they become underdeveloped yeah. and then they become susceptible, you know, mm-hmm. to... These types of I, I had a conversation with someone recently about um we were talking about you know the, the the talk that every little boy might get when he's you know about how to deal with police and how to deal with this and, and oh, they were the, like, the black people talk the, the black people talk yeah and they said to me I've never had to do that talk and I said no I'm not but I'll tell you what I've had to do with my daughter is have that talk about what she wears what how she's got to act how she's got to behave how she you know and I said that you know, me and Dean were speaking about it and I said the interest I don't know if you've seen the video of the the girl who was attacked in the gym um yeah I made a tactical protection review about it okay and she, and I've seen a lot of shit on the internet about her um you know she let the guy in she done this you know he lived in the building she opened the doors you would kind of do most people would generally do that what I loved about the video was um the one thing that I teach you know, I had a call with a girl in Spain the other day whose mom was a bit concerned about her and uh I said the one the one thing that women are almost taught is is to be polite. You know, we've got to we feel that that someone's following us, for example, don't you know, be a good girl. You know, don't overreact, don't be like too dramatic and everything. And I say, like, don't be polite. If your gut is telling you something, and, and clearly in that video, her gut told her something was wrong. So she went on attack, which was amazing. And I, I say the exact same thing. If you feel he's walking too close to you, there's nothing wrong with just stopping and pulling yourself away and moving out of his line. And if he comes for you, then you're ready. But yeah. we're, we're all taught to be so polite and be good yeah. girls. That needs to go out out a bit now. Um, yeah. And that's the way that I bring you know, Of course, be um, I, I bring my kids up with their pleas and thank yous and their manners and everything. Yeah. But as a woman, it's like stop with the the good girl attitude. 
Well, yeah. In that book, uh, The Gift of Fear, I believe Gavin DeBecker talks about a lot of that where, you know, and you hear it. I mean, I even hear it in the women in my life and I'm like, stop. You don't know that person's intent. If there's someone out and standing by your car late at night while you're trying to walk to your car from from work, like forget all the the justifications and mental gymnastics you want to do in order to be nice. Go and get another dude from work and say, hey, there's a weirdo. There's maybe maybe a weirdo, maybe not a weirdo, but I'm a female and, you know, he's got 50 pounds on me. So would you mind walking me to my car? Like, you know, if you think you're being followed in the supermarket, then maybe you do just check the guy while you're in the supermarket instead of walking to your car. Maybe you ask for help, you know, like, like being able to mute that voice you're talking. I think we're both talking about of like, Oh, well, he's probably, he doesn't, he just looks like a gangster. He's probably a nice young man. Like all that crap. Like he just happens to be standing by my door in this hallway and like, (laughs) like, no, no, no. Oh, it's just, you know, 2.30 2.30 after the club, and I'm going to get on this <laughs> elevator in the parking garage by myself with this one guy, a weird guy who can obviously overpower me. No, I'm not getting on the elevator. I'm going to get on the phone with yeah. someone and, and walk away. Offend, if you do offend, well, I mean... Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, and I think if, if if any guy, any reasonable guy who sees a girl would be worried about coming into that elevator, and if he's offended by that, then there's something not quite right with him. You know, most people 100%. want to other people if if they were in that situation so 100 like it is again i'm you know i'm not going out there like eyeballing everybody and like think but i do i am suspicious of everybody and I think that, um you know and i'm speaking to this girl and there was i think in barcelona there was an increase in crime and she was just concerned and she said but you know i want to hold my bag close i said well hold your bag close get a yeah. get a that kind of falls down the front of you. Um, and I, I said, make noise, you know, make it aware. I said, if you're nervous and, and he's there, go to somebody and say, good to see you, you know, pretend that that person's your mate, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but because these guys will attack vulnerability, they'll yep. attack opportunistically. I said, don't give them that opportunity. Yeah. And vulnerable, you know. Yeah, 100%. We always hear about survival of the fittest. It is a, it is a principle. But survival of the pack, elimination of uh, the weakest is also the other inverse of that principle. And if you watch the Discovery Channel tonight, you're going to see the cheetah and the lion, that one (laughs) gazelle that's over there doing his own thing. That's the one. So, yeah, walk up to another masculine dude and be like, hey, I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't know about this guy. He hasn't done anything, but I feel like just use your social and you have a social high ground. You are a, if, as a female that and, and we're organically designed to want to protect you. So and if the guy gets offended me, I'm 240 pound black guy with tattoos. I scare people all the time, like all the time. I walk on a plane or in an elevator. People are clutching their purses and little old ladies are looking at me. You know? <laughs> and that's why I'm nice all the time. I'm like smiley. I address everyone. I'm like, hey, hello, what's up? And I'm I'm trying to socially engineer the understanding yeah. that I come in peace, you know, but it's very. And, and at first there was like a little little voice in my head that wanted to be like, it's because you're black. Like no, no, the the organic black guy, the old black guy, old school black guy in my head was like, because you're black, man, they're just looking at you, you know? And then I was like, dude, no, it's not. It's because I'm bigger and stronger than most of them. I got tattoos. I am literally a combatant. <laughs> I literally am a yeah. warrior. And it's totally well, and the organic part of the experience. And when I disarm them, when I'm friendly... It goes away, and I help the old lady yeah. put her bag in the in the in the overhead compartment. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then you attack. <laughs> yeah, and if the wrong guy shows up, 
boom, everyone's just happy I'm there, you know? I'm just yeah. happy. Well, there. I mean, I think we've we've all got that primitive state. We've all got that, like, who we are as as, as males and females. And there is this big, huge, like, women shouldn't ask men for help. You know, you know, women should be powerful in their own. We, we you know, women and men are designed differently. It's, yeah. it's, it's biology and we're, we're, we're not meant to be the same. We're, and probably get slated for this, but we're not equal. We're yeah. different. And that's okay because we've got good and we've got bad, you know, yeah. Dean can't be me and I can't be Dean and neither right. of us try to be each other. So, yeah. um, but absolutely. If I'm out there, if I think that, you know, somebody's been a bit too close to my drink, that drink gets pouring away, you know, like don't be polite for the sake of being polite and then something happens and then, you know, um, but yeah. It's, yeah. No, uh, the last thing I'll say on that too, the way I say it, um, cause you know, I gotta be careful on the internet, but I still want to tell the truth. My, what I think is the truth. I always say equal in glory, different in function. You know, we're equal and we're both created in the image of God, but, and we all have superpowers, but the task di- dictates who's the best at it. You know what I'm saying? Sending the invoice. That's not me indeed. You know what I mean? The wife's <laughs> got to do that because they, they're coming at it from a whole different like mindset, everything, you know, now going boots on the ground and extracting people and facing other strong men. That's us, you know, and I run, I play my part and she plays her part and it's perfect. You know, yeah. I love it. I love it. Cool. And yeah, working out where the attack's coming from, you know, if the, if the big guy is running at us and then Dean's out there, like, I'll be like, yeah, you go for it. You take them. If the attack's coming from like the internet or, or one of these things, I'll deal with that because yeah. Dean, Dean will just be like, right, where where do you live? I'm going to come and blow your house up. You know, like, whereas I'm going to be like, more tactile and get it dealt with. Or you're raising funds to mobilize whole entire organizations to fight evil in the world. This is a superpower. This is it with a smile on your face and a pink blazer. It's a superpower, you know? Like, I love it, you know? Honorable member of the special... No, no, you're an honorable member of special boat service. How'd that happen? And then we'll get into the... You know, the Royal. Uh, yeah, so the yeah. Special Boat Service Association that was set up. Um, it, I think it was originally set up that if a, a Chinook went down, for example, and took out 12 guys, that it, it would support their families and their kids' education and, and whatnot. Um, and I, it, it did it did grow uh, bigger. So when Dean was injured, I got more involved in it and, and met a lot more people involved in it. Dean, Dean told me all about it and I said, yeah, I'd love to help them see what I can do to raise funds and at the time um they had all these organizations around the country in the UK uh, and we were in Scotland and more for the older guys you know the, the retired guys that were on their own now and, and didn't have much help uh we set up kind of divisions to help them all um you know maybe their heating wasn't working or something like that we could get somebody out there there straight away because the, the special forces community in the UK isn't as large as, as it is here. You know, if you're in the SAS or the SBS, it's a smaller community. So, and then the rules and the charity regulations in the UK means if you're um, helping someone, you have to report exactly what you're doing. So they're helping special forces guys. We can't release their name. So there's a whole sort of other rules. So I started working and helping them and doing various different things, doing, um, you know, after they leave the service, just, really helped Dean and then it went on from there so yeah. uh, I I think it was my third fundraiser off the cuff one and I'm just kind of stood up the, the CEO and awarded me this this honor which was which I was really really pleased honorable to member but, of the SBS that's like being an honorable member of like SEAL Team 6 like the Navy <laughs> yeah. SEAL just for you guys can make the associations out here 
That's awesome. Well done. Awesome cause. Um, and then member of the most excellent order of British Empire. How did yes. this come about? What's this all about? Are you like no, a lord? Like, are you like a knight? What is this? How does this? I mean, it sounds like some things going on. We're American. It's letters after your name. So I think um, the awards come in different ways. So you've got the MB, the OBs, and the knighthoods and things that come. Um, and I guess somebody, or I don't know who, organizations have nominated you for to receive this award and it's um you know only a few that get get selected i guess um dean to me personally dean should have one but i often feel like some of these guys get get overlooked because there's so many things that dean does that he's he's so humble about so he he's uh, so again so this was for um, my work with vulnerable women and with mental health so both for I guess the human trafficking and for the the fundraising quite interestingly I, I got a few people on on the internet that said I shouldn't have accepted it because it's the British Empire which is apparently associated with slavery and, and things so on you with whoever yeah, trolls that one. you know good people should be recognized you know I we know. need to be everywhere it's hard because, I, as I say, like, you know, you're fighting uh, something that is happening today and actually more than ever in history, 46 million people trapped in slavery at the moment, more than any time in history. So we're we're not fighting this great British empire that was doing like all sorts of bad things over the years, but we're, we're doing it now. So um, things like MBEs, Mrs. Scotland, all these different stuff help towards it you know you sometimes you just need that little bit of help opening the door and i'll take it you know i'll take yeah. what i can do 100 percent. play the cards where you got as we say yeah. and um I, I was recently so congratulations on that what an honor absolutely and that's i mean notice guys i mean more people in slavery today than there were back in the days we read about i'm still supposed to be mad about so we need to be doing something about that uh because we weren't alive to do something about it back then message message <laughs> but uh the uh let's see here i i was recently having a conversation with a social worker out here in la and he said you know when it comes to human trafficking probably you know the most at-risk population i just want to get your thoughts on this are really the single mothers you know because they can be kind of groomed then they have the kids and then things go south from there you know and they're they're a vulnerable population they and the income they're able to produce while taking care of kids and just looking for someone to, a safe person to, to be with what would you say about that have you seen kind of that trend or heard anything about yeah, that um so when it comes to i guess sex trafficking there's vulnerable women i guess so whether it was vulnerable girls they're they're the highest targeted um girls probably in that kind of 13 to 15 category you know of like finding themselves not sure where they are especially in broken homes um you know somebody will somebody's nice to the and that's the same thing with a single mom you know they're kind of going through a lot of and i would say in california it's very very hard because you've got to find your own income and it's, it's not it's really exactly, high yeah, like, yeah. Like you're making six figures and you're just at the poverty line, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like I I don't think I realized it till my assistant was looking for an apartment and I was like, holy shit, like how much do you have to find to to actually just live? Yeah. Um, and then so yeah, so and as a mother, you're gonna do absolutely anything you can to look after your kids. I mean, for for this kind of 13 to 15 year olds, it's that kind of feeling loved and feeling special that they're missing at home. And this guy will kind of do that, and then it's like that little favor they'll ask, and then that little favor comes more and more and more. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you're in in the system. Um and then for the single moms, it's 
the the promise of income no. but it never happens it's never it's never actually going to happen you know, it's, it, prostitution is one thing you know if you're going out and selling yourself to make money and you're you're coming home and whatever it is you're doing um and that's a whole other discussion we could we could have but it's your choice you're going out there you're 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 doing stuff that's could be dangerous but you're making this money for for trafficking you rarely see the money the, the, the money rarely comes to you and often it'll be seen like as a debt there'll be debt bondage um so if you're out there with like 30 guys in one night you know you'd be lucky if you got five ten percent of that because the rest goes to the the protection that you're getting or the that you're kind of management agent i guess um but then you've got to how do you get out of that because then each time you're in more and more debt and if you do anything you're at risk in your life if you've got kids that's a fantastic things for traffickers to target you know we'll hurt your kids if you don't do what we're telling you to do and um, you go to the police there's not a lot there the orange county sheriff's department where me and you're from is um had a lot of training from the task force but most of america is still way behind in training and how to deal with a victim and I think one of the things that, that I always say is they almost want these victims to be like, you know, please rescue me. I need help. Give, you know, like be my hero. Kind More of. complicated than that. These, these girls are hardened. You know, they're tough. They're desensitized. They're going to fight. They're going to, you know, and immediately when you see that, it's like, let's, so I, it blows my mind. There's people in jail for yeah. any sex crime of a, 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 with a woman, you know, that there's women sitting behind bars right now because probably they've been trafficked in some sort of way. And that's just a huge failing in the system, I would say. Yeah. Wow. Interesting perspective. Very good stuff in there. Um, what would you say is the hardest lesson as we get into our closing questions, hardest lesson you've learned, I mean, in the field of doing all the things that you've done? What would you say was the hardest lesson? I guess it's the the motives of, of of other people. I guess is learning that not everybody's a good guy, really. Which is weird. As you know, that not everybody's a good guy, but you you learn yeah, all. You think in certain circles that you'd be around good people, but I'm right yeah. there with you. Yeah, it does blow my mind that you've got this little short time on earth, and you can do it actually going out and harming. But even the people that spend a little time on the internet, like commenting nasty stuff on people's, I'm like, dude, go and live life. It's not yeah. very long. Yeah, it really isn't. It really isn't. You know what? I'm 37. I make it to 70. Maybe I'm halfway. You know, like, <laughs> like you know. So uh, no, that's good. And I, I I have experienced that same thing and that same despair of being like, you know, I just thought we're doing a good cause and everyone was just going to be good people here. But I guess I guess <laughs> I was wrong. Um, I'm right there with you. What would you say is your proudest moment of the things you've done? I'm going to sound really cliche, but my kids every day, they just make me so everything that they do, everything about them is just yeah. amazing. And I think because, because I've done, you know, with Dean being away, when it comes to a single mom, like you almost live like a single mom, like one year Dean is home 21 days in the whole year. So you live like you raise the kids, like you're on your own a lot of the time. But so sometimes I get nervous. Am I giving them the right thing? Am I giving them everything they need? And then they do some amazing stuff and you think, oh yeah, yeah, they're cool. They're good kids. Yeah, that is amazing. And I agree. 
the thing with kids, man, your heart, it fills your heart. Like it's some special, something different kind of medicine kind of thing. Like I'm like sitting there looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is really nice and cool. I haven't felt my heart for so long. <laughs> and then like my daughter. He yeah. said today, they said like, doesn't matter what, you know, you could take them to like Vegas for the weekend. He said, but that smile that Harley gives them first thing in the morning. He said that yeah. just the best feeling in the world. Yeah, 100%. No, I'm right there with you. Favorite quote, mantra, saying. Oh, I guess um, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. Yes, 100%. I love it. I love that you're fighting all these good fights in your own way. Um, It's so valuable to the world. We need more people like you, you know. Um, It's not for everyone to be this, like, warrior, you know, gun-slinging, sword-swinging guy. Um, We need, and even us, even for me to get boots on the ground in a location, I need support. I need funding. I need uh, lawyers. I need paperwork to be done. I mean, these are the fights we fight in order to even be able to get the tip of the spear into the battle. I'm dealing with some of it right now. So um, it's so amazing. Give me a call. I'll help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually, (laughs) we'll probably take you up on that. Um, And then uh, favorite, like a, a habit you think people could look at that would make them better people or better protectors or something that's made your life better. Being, I guess, organization in the neatest form, I would say, you know, things like just, you know, making your bed in the morning, keeping your area tidy, keeping your own things. Like I see so many people in a little bit of a mess in their life. And then I kind of look at their home life or look at their car or whatever it might be. And I'm just like, tidy up, just tidy yourself up and, and, and kind of downsize. You know, we have so much crap you know like <laughs> Literal just crap. nonsense like so much clothes so much stuff and it's like yeah. downsize downsize like you don't need it all like <laughs> me and dean feel like a little bit overwhelmed or a little bit pressure mm-hmm. we, we will do a downsize and just get rid of stuff we don't need because you do yeah. find you just gather so much nonsense yeah absolutely no that's good make your environment out picturing it your environment is the out picturing of this environment, I believe. Like when I meet someone and I see their clothes are disheveled and they're, you know, there's nail dirt under their nails and there's these little things mm-hmm. and details that are going unnoticed and unchecked and unmaintained. Uh, it's telling me something. I'm the same way. I see their car, I see these different things. And now I'm, I'm oh. actually- Sorry, I give yourself that ownership. I think like one thing that I hear so often is, you know, I'm from like what you would probably call like I don't know how you would say it here. We call it like a really poor neighborhood, but like, like um, you know, you're from the hood. Girl. You're from the hood. Yeah, but it's like you know, we don't have weapons and everything. But everything bad that there's it. That was where I was from, you know. And everybody that's kind of from there is like, we're never getting out. This is yeah. where we live. This is where this we're going to be. We are. But yeah, this is who we are. Yeah, it's it's totally up to you. And I think the amount of excuses I hear flowing about, and I'm like, it's like drop the excuses. There isn't any. Like, if you want to be better, if you want to do something, go and do it. There, yeah. there isn't anything blocking. There's nothing that makes us any different. Um, and especially like when we speak about the whole like privileged people or especially like the kind of white man. To me, I, I I knew a lot of these people growing up and they weren't privileged because they had zero resilience. They would have no clue. And I, I noticed that over COVID, they were the ones who were struggling. They didn't know how to deal with yeah. um, times when bad stuff happens. You know, people that have grown up like that they they know how to deal with shit they know how to go without food yeah. or electricity or anything like that yeah. so um start with the excuses yeah i'm right there with you and my culture is one of the worst cultures for it you know 
I've said it before, I'll say it again. I spend thousands of dollars on generating content. I drop one to two organic videos a day. I, I, I come up with what I think is awesome. No one cares. I post one, one picture, my most popular piece of content ever. One picture, three guys, three black guys, uh, a bailiff, a lawyer, and a gangster in a courtroom. And I said something like, choice over everything. The decisions you may make in life will pay you back in direct proportion to the quality of those decisions, essentially, something like this. I got, I got, I mean, it was, I got attacked so vehemently. I got my black card taken away like three, four, five times. I was told I'm a victim of racism that doesn't know he's a victim of racism. But I sit here, I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur, man. I was born in a third world country. I joined the military, almost died. Got, got got away with it. And now, you know, like I, I, I run my little businesses and like, it's totally amazing. And I'm like, everyone can do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you survive the thing, stop with the excuses. And that at my school, dude, I, I, I have ruthless and it's love. It's out of love, man. Because people's self-limiting beliefs are their ceilings. And I, I agree with you 100%. So important. Yeah. So let's see here. All right. Well, what are you up to these days and where can we find you? Um, so my website is alanastott.com, Instagram, everything else is alanastott.com. I've got five um, books coming out this year. So the three children's books, um, which is all really about um, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today. How to Ask for Money is about how to ask for money. Uh, she who dares is my memoirs which is was written off the back of after dean's book came out a lot of people said when's alana's book coming out so i thought yeah. you know what? i'll just write it <laughs> and that was super interesting because that brought back my love my childhood love of writing after my mum passed away when i was 15 she um my writing kind of stopped and then it just came back and it's been in flow and i'm i love it nice being in flow is awesome. Awesome. Oh, and shout out to Kelsey from Brass and Unity. She's awesome. She's doing some big tings. I see that bracelet, that necklace, what you got on. She's amazing. Yeah, she's um, her book's coming out soon. And I think I get a little mention in that as well. So that's my little claim to fame in there. Um, but yeah, she's a legend. Go well, Kelsey. You, know, you help get some people out of Afghanistan, you know, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a big thing. And I don't think it's over. Watch this space on that one. Yep. 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 100%, 100%. The world is an interesting place and it needs people like us. So it's an honor. I'm so glad that we're connected. And wow. your husband, you know, Dean, he's a savage. We get to do some cool stuff. Hopefully we all can get together sometime and do some more cool stuff. Um, and uh, this has been amazing. I think there's been a lot of really good content in here. So thanks so much, Elena, for this conversation. And thank you for everything you do too. It's been awesome. Outstanding. Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, you'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps, that helps us 
make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade, and I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast. Out.